Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. everybody and welcome to another episode if you don't like that my guest is coming up in just a moment but first i want to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by new works plumbing of sacramento locally owned for over 20 years new works has a fix for you whether it's leak detection water line repair plumbing repair bathroom plumbing new works is a full service plumbing solution no matter how small or how large your plumbing problem they've got a fix for you Again, just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. My guest is somebody that uh, defines the word perseverance to me. He broke into the majors with the Montreal Expos in 1995, but the path to get there was an arduous and interesting one. He uh, was a broadcaster for the Washington Nationals on T for many years, of course, when they won their World Series championship. He is currently a talk show host on KMBR. He is from El Dorado Hills, California. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast F.P. Santangelo, or as Vince Gully says, F.P. Angelo. So what do you prefer fp <laughs> i don't care grant I, you can call me whatever you want and i think I, <laughs> yeah. and I think you have in the past many times so <laughs> it's just nice to be on with you it's nice to hear your voice you know what uh, I, how you doing man i'm doing good and i wanted to have you on my podcast because I, I I so have admired over the years that i've known you your work ethic and how you really had to earn Everything you had. I mean, you were taken, what, in the 20th round of the Expos? You gritted and grinded in the minor leagues. Let's go back to early in your career. Around what age did you think that, hey, maybe maybe I got the ability to play at the, the highest level? Um, I don't, I don't even think the day I retired, I thought that, um, <laughs> right. So it, it was, it was always a constant battle every single day, but, uh, you know, I was six years old. I went to a Tigers game with my dad in Detroit. I grew up in Livonia, Michigan, and then we moved to California when I was seven. And it was just so cool for me to see grass in the middle of the city, um, in Tiger stadium and to see guys playing baseball. And I think somehow in a really eloquent way, my dad, told me that these guys actually get paid to play baseball and I thought no way uh, that's super cool so from the time I was six I wanted to be a major league baseball player and I knew it um, and I kind of put all my eggs in that basket even though I studied real hard at Oak Ridge High School and got great grades and got a scholarship to Cal Berkeley out of Oak Ridge High School um, and, and knew that a- academics were important um, and it's definitely helped the afterlife after baseball 
I just knew from a young age I wanted to be a major league baseball player. I don't know, Grant, when uh, I knew that I had the ability to play there. I think uh, I always kind of questioned and doubted, and I think that's pretty normal for everybody, even though your confidence level is high and you believe in yourself. But I was the smallest guy, and, and I was not as fast as everybody, and I didn't have the best arm. or you know, I, I wasn't the top prospect. I was just kind of the guy that, that played hard and was going to find a way to beat you. And that voted well for me. But then when I, I finally, I went to University of Miami after I transferred back to Sac City. So I went to three different colleges and I got drafted by the Expos. And when you get to pro ball, all of a sudden you're an A ball and it's the best of everybody's team in college. You had the best guy from Mississippi State, the best guy from Oklahoma, the best guy from USC, the best guy in high school, uh, the guy that had the, the street named after him in a small town in Alabama somewhere. And you're all in the same clubhouse and you're thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to how am I going to separate myself from these guys? How am I going to get to the next level? And uh, I just started playing hard, and I just started believing myself, and I would get to the ballpark early every single day, and I would hit uh, buckets and buckets of baseballs off a tee. I would have my friends hit ground balls to me at shortstop because I was a shortstop back then. That's all I played. And um, all of a sudden, in A-ball, I was, I was one for my first 30. I was hitting O-something, oh um, and I'm thinking I'm getting released. I was 22 years old at the time. And uh, I, I went over four for like the third night in a row. And I'm like, there's no way I'm playing tomorrow. And Felipe Alou, who is my A-ball manager, put me back in the lineup. And I said, why the hell am I playing today? Like, I, I suck. I'm about to get released. And I got two hits that night. And all of a sudden, something clicked. Um, I went on to have an 18-game hitting streak. I played every day in A-ball. And Felipe Alou, who eventually became my big league manager, was my manager in A-ball, fell in love with me because I played hard. I got dirty. I found a way to win. And then he started moving me around to different positions because he thought that maybe I wasn't going to be an everyday major league shortstop, but I could be an everyday utility player in the big league. And I'll never forget toward the end of the season, I'm hitting 280, which was high in the Florida State League because there's only usually one or two, 300 hitters. It was a tough league to hit. And he came up to me and said, I think you're going to play in the big league someday because you realize you're going to play in the big league someday. And when he told me that, that's like the first time I ever thought it. Hmm. Uh, I'm like, wow, Felipe Alou played 17 years in the big league, knows what it takes. And he told me at the end of the year, he called me Frankie. He said, Frankie, you're going to play in the big league someday. Wow. Um, and then all of a sudden I was a prospect. I went to double A the next year and triple A and kind of got stuck in triple A because Montreal had a young farm system and there was a lot of young players in the big leagues already. So there was nowhere to go. And I was in my fourth year at triple A and won the MVP in triple A a couple of years in a row. And the fans would chant my name in Ottawa, Canada every night. And I got to the point where I, I was just kind of the employee grant that put his head down, didn't say a whole lot, and just kind of stayed in my lane. And it got frustrating. And Bill Guyvette was my minor league director who went to Sac City High School and turned out to be a really good friend of mine. I finally just had enough and went up to him one day and said, you know what? I deserve a shot. Like, I've done everything you can do in the minor leagues. Uh, my manager, Pete McCannon, says I'm the best utility player in AAA right now. Uh, why can't I be the best utility player in the National League instead of the International League? And uh, after the, he, he told me, you're, oh, you're hitting 260, you got to do this, you got to do that. I said, give me a chance. I said, and if, and if I fail, you guys can all go have a beer and say, um, you know, I told you we couldn't play there. And he, they called me up two days later. Wow. And then I spent seven years in the big leagues. And, um, you know, it was just, a, it was a wonderful ride. It was a tough ride at times because, I don't think a lot of people know that minor leaguers don't make a lot of money. I was in my seventh year in AAA grant and I was making $10,000 a year before tax. Mm. And that's, that's with a wife and with a kid. Wow. And so I was probably making about seven, $8,000 a year then. 
um, trying to support a family. And then I got called up in August of 1995. And, you know, my first check was more than I made the entire year in mm. AAA. So it's been kind of cool. Yeah. And you, I mean, for, for anybody listening, you got to believe in yourself. And, you know, when there's adversity or when people tell you you can't do something, I was always the guy that used that as fuel in my tank. Like, I'm going to show you. Okay. You know, and I was the little guy with a chip on my shoulder. And, you know, if you told me I couldn't do something, I was going to show you I could. And I do a lot of public speaking. Um, and I feel like there's two kinds of people in the world. When, when, when people tell you you can't do something, you're like, you're right. Um, you're right, darn it. I'm going to try something else. Or when people tell you you can't do something, you're like, screw that. I'm going to show you I can. And I've always been the second. I've always been the guy that says, screw that. I'm going to show you I, I love can. it. No matter what has happened. So you know, I've got it's always a challenge and I always learn from it and I always try to get better. I love it. Well, you know, you get called up your first game, I think was the fourth or fifth inning. Your first hit was a triple. You end up fourth in your rookie season, uh, rookie of the year voting fourth. Um, and you're in Montreal and I know you love being a Montreal and being with Vladimir Guerrero. I mean, what was that experience like being on the Expos during that period of time? Well, it was cool because it's a great place to break into. You, you didn't have like in New York, uh, 15 beat writers in your locker after a game asking you a question. You had, um, you know, a, a couple. You didn't have big fans every night, but then every once in a while you'd have a big crowd. Um, it, so it was just the, the people in Montreal loved their baseball. They just, you know, they didn't want to spend a couple of months of summer they had in uh, Olympic Stadium, which was indoors. And they kept losing their players every year to other teams. And they were the farm system for the big leagues. So there was a lot of knowledgeable, passionate fans up there. There still is. I think baseball would flourish in Montreal if it ever gets back there. But being a young player was a perfect place to break in. There wasn't a lot of pressure. And the coolest part, Grant, about being an expo is they don't sign a lot of free agents. Mm -hmm. So with a lot of teams, you walk into a clubhouse and you're like, ooh, that's so-and-so, ooh, that's so-and-so. When I walked into a big league clubhouse for the first time, it was all my buddies that I came up in the minor leagues with. It wasn't that big of an adjustment because I had already played with all these guys. I looked around the clubhouse and it was the guys I came up with in A-ball and double-A and triple-A. And they were all rooting for me, and they all gave me hugs, and they were like, no way, this is awesome. And they were all happy for me because they knew I paid my dues. So the, the city is amazing. The people there are amazing. The culture, the food, the nightlife, everything there is, is incredible. Um, and it's a wonderful city. And I was lucky enough to spend four years there, and I have nothing but fond memories. But for a young player, um, I, I always say there's a difference between being called up to the Yankees where you're expected to contribute to maybe a World Series championship. And there's a lot of pressure there and a lot of media, a lot of scrutiny You're under microscope. But for me, I was fortunate enough to be um, not so much a young player because I was 28 when I was a rookie. But it was e easy to break in because I didn't have that pressure. I could kind of establish myself. And and uh, my whole my whole attitude when I got called up was I paid my dues. And I'm, it's kind of like I'm playing blackjack in a casino with house money right now. Just have fun, let it ride. And if it's one at bat, it's one at bat. If it's Seven years, it's seven years, and it turned out to be seven years. FP, take me back to 2001. Uh, obviously, 9-11, the World Series that year, Yankees-Diamondbacks. You're part of the A's running through that year. What was that experience like for you in 2001? Well, I mean, it was baseball heaven. Uh, you know, being with the Oakland A's uh, and being on that ball club, we were 102-60. Uh, and 60. We won every single night, um, and it was just a great group of guys, a super eclectic group of guys. And when, you know, I think families used a lot uh, in sports, and um, I think it's it's used lightly. And that was really a family. We loved each other. We we pulled for each other. We policed each other, and I think that's what good teams do. We kept each other in check. 
Art Howe is a wonderful human being, maybe the nicest guy I ever played for, very communicative, very easy uh, to approach. Um, and it was just fun because we won every night with a crazy bunch of dudes, and you couldn't wait to get to the ballpark every day. Jason Giambi was our ringleader, um, one of the best players in the American League at the time. And, you know, he, he we kind of looked at him, and he was our leader. And uh, we won every night. It was wild. We had a good time off the field. It was like – I always say it was like Motley Crue meets baseball because mm-hmm. we just had a, we just had a good time. I, and, but we won, and we respected the game. And it was a bunch of 23-year-olds just having a blast. And I was almost 36 on my way out. And it was just a great way to end your career. And, um, you know, I owe Billy Bean a lot for taking a chance on me and getting me over there. Um, and I owe all those guys a lot for accepting me and taking me in when I was there. But but it was just like sometimes baseball can be clicky. You get these guys over here. They're from, you know, this walk of life. And you get these guys over here. And they're from this walk of life. And you get these guys over here. But that it was just a it was just a family man. It didn't matter if we were playing Latin music one day and rap music the next day or country music the next day or rock and roll music the next day. We all loved each other. Uh, we pulled for each other. We went out together um, after the games as a group. Which in the big leagues, for people that don't know, it's usually like a couple guys here, a couple guys there. It was like eighteen guys, nineteen guys every night we went Amazing. out in Oakland after the game, and we just had a blast. We take over the restaurant, we take over the bar. Um, we'd have just a good time, but we always respected the game and respected the game the next day. Uh, and if somebody got out of control or somebody was a little uh, too wild, we policed ourselves. We'd be like, hey, dude, you got to reel it in, man. Like, we're about to win a World Series here. And we probably should have won the World Series. Um, the Yankees got in the way, and some guy named Derek Jeter got in the way with the flip play in the 2001 playoffs. But um, it was it just literally I, I can't talk enough about how much fun I had in Oakland, how grateful I was for the opportunity. What was it like being in New York in October of 2001? It was it was surreal, man. And when you talk about 9-11, you know, I'll, I'll never forget it. And I hope nobody listening to this ever forgets it because it was such a uh, an incredible time um, in our nation's history in, in an awful sense, because. Um, we all went through it. We all remember where we were. Baseball stopped, and we were on we were on fire as the Oakland A's. We had won, like I don't know, ten of eleven, and all of a sudden baseball stops. It's like, what do we do? Uh, we had inner squads at the Coliseum, which you know we had fun doing those as much fun as we could at the time. But you know, it was just you know sports and and, and everything else had to take a backseat to like healing as a nation. And then we all decided we had to vote on, you know, do we go back? Do we play? Is it time to play? When's it time to play? And we thought any sort of diversion to the fans or to the to America and just kind of, you know, have a little escapism for three hours a night watching baseball would be super, super cool. So we all decided to play again. Uh, we ended up finishing the season. Uh, we were 102 and 60 and we finished 14 games out of first place. Wow. Because the Mariners were 116 and whatever. Um, but we were the wild card and we ended up going to New York to play the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. Um, and I'm going to get goosebumps and, and might even get choked up telling this because it's hard to get through. But uh, the, we played the first playoff game ever in Yankee Stadium after 9-11. And it was super cool in a sense to see the New York fans just kind of forgetting about what had happened. But in the pregame ceremonies, we got called out to the lines, as you do during the playoffs. And we're playing the first playoff game in Yankee Stadium since 9-11. I think it was like the early October, maybe maybe a week into October. I can't remember the date. Um, but, uh, at, around the circle, uh, around home plate, the semicircle behind home plate, it was 
Port Authority, Port Authority, NYFD, and NYPD. There's probably two or three representatives from everything. And when you got toward the Yankee side of the semicircle behind home plate, it was NYFD guys, and they were in their jackets mm. in, in full gear, and they had soot all over them, and oh, they boy. had just come from ground zero. And Joe Torre came out, and Paul O'Neill came out, and they were all hugging them, and it was a standing ovation. And we're wiping tears away uh, from our eyes. on the I'm, I'm, We were all crying. It was unbelievable. And then they unfurled a flag in center field, and it was from the World Trade Center. It was all ripped and torn and tattered, and they pulled it up. And then an eagle flew the game ball in from center field. And it was just, it was wonderful to see people that have been through so much have smiles on their faces. And, and you know, that they, they had all lost relatives and friends. And so um, it was an incredible experience to be a part of that. And then we, we back and forth and we went back to New York for game five. And you know about the Jeter flip, sure. the flip play in game three. And then we lost. We lost game five to the, to the Yankees. And I knew it was probably my last game in the big leagues. I had a feeling that that was it. So I sat in the dugout for about 20 minutes after the game and I watched 50,000 people in Yankee Stadium just go nuts. And, and you could see the upper deck bouncing and they were they all had joy and smiles on their faces. And it was the first time ever in my career I was okay with losing. It was probably the only time I had a chance to win a World Series as a player. And I knew that was over, but I knew there was something more important than fans to be happy and to celebrate, to have more baseball and have more time to forget about what had just happened. So I just sat there, soaked it all in. I was the only guy on the bench, and that was my last big league game, and I'll never forget it. That's a phenomenal, phenomenal recollection and story from 2001. You know, I don't know a lot of things, FP, but I know talent when I see it. And I told you early in your career, this is you. This is something that you're going to be really good at. You are going to be an analyst one day. You are going to be working for a team. You're going to be a big league announcer, and it happened. And I was so happy for you. What was the experience like being on TV every night in Washington with a team that ended up winning it all? It was cool. It was a great ride. Um, it, it was fun. It was a fun time in my life. Uh, it was neat to see that, that city experience, the World Series championship. I made a lot of friends in D.C. I spent a decade there. And it was just it was just a wonderful ride. But to be honest, Grant, I don't really miss it a whole lot. I'm super happy to be home. I'm super happy to be in San Francisco around my family. I've been so far away for so long chasing my dreams and, you know, following the baseball dream and following the broadcasting dream that it just seems super uh, awesome to be home around my son. My daughter's in New York, but uh, it's, it's super cool to be around my son every day. My parents were just here for the weekend. And all the time and things I missed out on when I was back east following my dreams, um, it, it just feels nice to be home. So I'm super grateful to be at KMBR. I, I literally walk uh, 10 minutes to Oracle Park every day Great. to watch the Giants play. My The studio at KMBR is about a mile down the street. I have a little e-scooter that I ride. So uh, while it was a wonderful time in my life there, I, I, I've never been happier here in San Francisco. That's great. I'm very happy for you, FP. I really am. It's so phenomenal to see you uh, persevere. If you had a crystal ball five years from now, ideally, if you could write your own ticket, what would you like to be doing? Uh, I would like to be doing a live. That would be good five years from now. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, Grant, I've climbed every mountain you could climb. I've achieved every dream I've ever wanted in my life. I have no goals right now. I don't have any desire to be anywhere, to be anybody. Um, I think a lot of times in life we can get 
um, a little bit caught up in ourselves and what we want to do for a living. And, and now it's time to be with my family. Good for you. Uh, and, and to be with my friends and the people I grew up with. I've been away so much. Uh, my priorities have shifted big time. I've already climbed every mountain I want to, and I just want to. I just want to relax and enjoy life, and and be around the people I love and the people that are important to me. I think a lot of times we get caught up in, in, in people that say they're our friends or say they're our family, and and maybe you know they're not. And and so um, over the last few years, I found out and realized what's truly important to me, and and it's it's the people I love and the people that that, that I've missed for so long while I've been away. So. I don't really have any goals for the next five That's, years. It's probably the first time, Grant, in my life that I don't have any goals. I just, I'm just, I'm enjoying every day to the fullest. I'm enjoying being around the people I love, um, and it's really simple. Like my life is simple right now, and I kind of like it that way. FB, I've always loved baseball. I actually was a kid, watch Yankees, uh, watch Mickey Mantle play at Yankee Stadium, just to date myself. But I got to tell you, FB, I, I have a real difficult time sitting through more than a couple of innings of watching a baseball game now. I don't like the way the game is played. Uh, I'm tired of seeing guys jog out of the box on balls hit to the outfield and get singles instead of doubles or doubles instead of triples. Josh Donaldson last week thought he had a home run. He jogged. He was thrown out at second by, you know, uh, two steps. And then Michael Kay is on saying that, you know, they, they showed it, that it's bad. That it's not hustling, but it's become, you know, a league-wide thing and that there's no punishment. So guys still jog. I mean, I can't even imagine you being a manager of big league team and seeing guys jog around the base pass. I think it would drive you crazy. There are just a lot of things personally I don't like about the game. Give me your thoughts on that. Well, you know, I, I do it on the radio show every day and I try not to sound old and grouchy and, and you know, but the game has changed and, and I don't think for the better right now. I think it's a very sterile brand. You can't break up a double play. You can't run over a catcher. You know, pitchers have to face three guys. Um, and, and then the brand of baseball itself is everybody's chasing the money. So as long as you know, as long as you're getting paid for home runs and OPS, guys are going to chase the money. And it's about hitting fly balls. Um, it's about hitting home runs. It's about launch angle, exit velocity, spin rate. Um, I think analytics, while it's awesome to have analytics in the game, I think it's it, it might be getting a little bit too out of control right now where we, we might be having mathletes instead of athletes. And, and, and to me, there's no part. Math has no part in baseball. Well, I shouldn't say no part in baseball. It, it will obviously be a part of baseball, but I think it's it's too prevalent right now. And I think the analytic part is, is kind of taken over. I think there's a wonderful mix of analytics and people who have baseball experience. And when that meshes together, that's the perfect scenario, the perfect storm. But I think that, that now all of a sudden, if you've seen what Joe Madden has said in the last week, where the analytics are starting to come into the clubhouse and into the dugout, that just blows my mind. You have to let baseball people be baseball people. You have to let analytic people be analytic people. But when that start, when that line starts to be blurred, and you have, uh, you know, uh, I think there was a scene in Moneyball where Billy Bean was in the dugout. I'm like, that's incredible. The GM's never been in the dugout. Are you kidding me? That's so Hollywood. But now, maybe that's going to happen someday soon, and maybe it's already happened with the GM's right hand man. It sounds like in in Anaheim being in the coach's room, putting on a uniform, and all of this stuff is is super mind boggling to me. But uh, I talked. The saddest part. Uh, to me, Grant, was I talked to players that I knew in Washington that retired, players that I played with that retired, and they're not watching baseball. They no. refuse to watch baseball. And that that's sad to me. And it's not because they're bitter because they got released. These are guys that had wonderful careers that have made a lot of money that were super passionate about the game. And every one of them says, I just can't watch right now. And all of a sudden, we're, we're you know, it, we have to preserve ourselves. 
for six months and it's okay not to run to first base. Like really how, how hard is it to run to first base four times a night? It's not that hard. It's not going to drain you by the time you get to September because I did it every year. I know. Um, it's, it's not that difficult. It's not that difficult to <laughs> right. hustle. It's like one of the only things you can control on a daily basis is your attitude and your effort. Because once the ball goes off your bat, you have no control. Once the ball leaves your hand as a pitcher, you have no control. There's so many things in baseball that you don't have control over, but running to first base and hustling and playing hard is one of them. And yeah, it drives me crazy. And, you know, I couldn't manage right now because they, they don't let managers manage. Right. They don't make up the lineups. They script everything during the game. They have to make the moves when they make the moves. If they don't make the moves, they, they had, they talked about in the meeting, they're held accountable and they're fired. So it's just a different brand of baseball right now. But the way I always talk about it on my radio show is I love pizza. No matter what kind of pizza it is, I love pizza. Whether it's frozen pizza, whether it's gourmet pizza in Italy that costs $50 for a pizza. I love all kinds of pizza. So no matter what kind of game is being played, baseball is part of me. It's more or less who I am, um, and I'll always love it. It's just kind of frustrating right now, uh, the way it's going. And and I think, Grant, when baseball is trying to capture the younger fan now, and with all the rules being implemented next year to speed up the game. And I used this analogy the other night. Baseball has so many rules and intricacies in it, so many nuances, that if somebody flew over from Ireland and sat next to me in a game and they'd never seen baseball before, it, it's kind of hard to explain it to them. So if we're trying to get the average fan that goes to five games a year and get them hooked on baseball like we did as a kid and fall in love with it, now you get some guy from Ireland and you're trying to explain the rules. And now next year, you're going to say, well, if the, if the hitter's not in the bat, batter's box by nine seconds and the catcher's not set by nine seconds and the pitcher doesn't throw the ball by 15 seconds and he can only throw over to first base twice, if he steps off more than twice, it's a ball. Crazy. If they violate the clock, it's a ball. If this is a ball, like, we, just, we just made baseball harder to understand for the average fan with all these new rules coming next year. Now, if you're in the industry and you're a coach or a player or a broadcaster or and you go to 162 games a year. I understand. Like when there was a two and a half hour game, that was a broadcaster. I was like, "This is great. I'm going to go have a beer a lot earlier tonight. This is awesome." But when you're the casual fan, and that's who we're trying to grab, grab is Major League Baseball or the younger fan. And I understand the need to speed it up. I understand that you know people can't concentrate for three hours now. I get all that, and I understand why they did this. But now we just made it so much harder for somebody to understand. Like if you're sitting there with somebody that's never been to a game or hasn't seen baseball and you're trying to get them to fall in love with the San Francisco Giants, you're like, wait, what's that clock for? What's that clock for? What's going on there? And now you're asking the umpires to interpret the game in a whole new way and be meter maids, like your heels are on the grass, they're not the dirt, that's <laughs> the ball. Right. Like, so it's, I just don't know where this whole thing is going. And I just, I, it, it's confusing to me. And, and this is the last thing I'll leave you with, Grant. Our whole lives are based on the clock. We wake up at a certain time. We get on a bus at a certain time to go to work. We have to be at work at a certain time. Lunch is at a certain time. We get off work at a certain time. Our kids' practices start at this time, and they got to be there by that time. Uh, we got to pick them up after practice at this time. Our whole lives are based on a clock. The one place where there isn't a clock, the one place where there's never been a clock, is at the ballpark. So when I go to the ballpark, it's the one place as a fan that I don't have to worry about what time it is. Hmm. I don't have to worry about being anywhere else. I'm at Wrigley Field. I'm sitting there. I'm watching a game. There's no clocks anywhere. Baseball's never had a clock anywhere. And now all of a sudden, 
I'm back on the clock. I'm watching 20 seconds before a pitch. I'm watching this. I'm watching that. And now there's no way to it, – it, it's America's pastime. It shouldn't matter if you go to six games a year, whether it's three hours and 15 minutes or two hours and 55 minutes. You're paying good money to go to a game. And when I was a kid, I rooted for extra innings. I wanted the game to go <laughs> Me long. too. So when did it was, I. When it, was, when it was going too fast, I'm like, I'm getting ripped off right now. I, I'm at the place that I love most, the ballpark. So when we are on the clock everywhere and everything we do, now all of a sudden we're going to go to a ball game. And guess what? We're on the clock again. So I know I'm sounding old right now, but I just, I just think if you tinker too much in the suits and Park Avenue, tinker too much with the game, it's a slippery slope and it's going to be where do you stop? Well, speaking of time, our time is up, and I want to thank you uh, so much for coming on. I want to thank you for your friendship, and I'm happy that you're back where you love, and that's Northern California and being at KMBR. And I predict before too much longer, you're going to be in the booth once again calling games. And whatever whatever the future holds for you, man, I'm glad that you're happy. I'm glad that life is good. And, I again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Dude, always, Grant. It's always good to catch up to you uh, with you. It's good to hear your voice. And, uh, yeah. Whatever happens with me in the future, I'm just uh, I'm just glad to be around people I love right now, and that's all that matters. So thanks for having me on, dude. I appreciate it. Hey, folks, I want to talk to you about Z-Biotics. Let's face it, after a night with drinks, I don't bounce back the next day like I used to. I've got to make a choice. I can either have a great night or a great next day. That is until I found Z-Biotics. Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Z-Biotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Z-Biotics your first drink of the night. Drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. And again, I was a bit on the fence about Z-Biotics initially, but then I was at a birthday party. Uh, my buddy and his wife had rented out a restaurant, and I had a couple of drinks, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot tonight. And you know what, folks? Believe me, it is the real deal. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, reunions. Hey, there's so much going on, right? Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Go to zbiotics.com slash grant to get 15% off your first order when you use grant at checkout. Zbiotics is back with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember, go to zbiotics.com slash grant. Use the code grant at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Really appreciate FP coming on the podcast today. Hey, I want to let everyone know that uh, you can go to crowdultra.com, put your question in, and maybe I will answer your question on Friday's show. But I wanted to spend today and thank everyone that showed up yesterday for my charity event at Bennett's Kitchen Bar and Restaurant in Roseville. We were able to raise nearly $16,000 for charity. And for those of you that came out, for those of you that could not make it but donated, uh, I just want to say thank you. Your support means the world to me. Your support on this podcast means the world to me. I do not take it for granted. I appreciate each and every one of you. And it was so awesome to be able to meet so many people that I talk to on a daily basis yesterday so for that again heartfelt thank you it means the world to me and we'll do it again in the near future it's time for Grant, 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 Grant.
Today's rant is brought to you by Sky Oak Capital, a financial planning and wealth management firm as an SEC registered investment advisor. Sky Oak Capital's primary focus is protecting your assets by mitigating risk while providing returns to allow you to retire comfortably. Just visit skyoak.com to take a free risk analysis. Views and opinions expressed by this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Sky Oak Capital. Explain to me what Nathaniel Hackett, the head coach of the Broncos, was doing last night. I mean, you got Russell Wilson. You pay him over $200 million. It's a fourth and five with a minute left. You have three timeouts. You let the clock run down to 20 seconds. You take a timeout, and you try a 64-yard field goal. Really? A 64-yard field goal is a higher percentage of winning a game than Russell Wilson making a fourth and five? I mean, seriously, why'd you give up a boatload to get Russ, and then why'd you give him a mammoth contract? I mean, it makes no sense to me. I mean, how on earth do the players of the Denver Broncos have any faith in their coach after that decision last night? You think the players in the Broncos locker room respect that decision? You think Russell Wilson now goes and talks to Nathaniel Hackett on the plane last night and says, yeah, that was a great decision? I mean, Russell Wilson can't make a fourth and five? I mean, it makes no sense. That whole thing was botched. And raise your hand if you had the Seattle Seahawks as the only team in the NFC West with a win after week one. Wacky, crazy NFL season already, and we're only one week in. And that's my rant for today. That's my podcast for today. My thanks to FB Santangelo. Look forward to talking to you again on Friday right here, if you don't like that, with Grant Napier. So long, everybody. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.